Well, what do you do when you find yourself in need? When, when life just sort of hits the fan and things, quite frankly, are simply a mess. You're in a place that's unplanned and you don't really know where to go or what to do next. You know, there's a lot of places that one could go and one way, uh, certain ways that somebody could respond. But I'd argue that really probably all of those responses kind of boil down in two different categories. You could either turn inward or you could turn outward. If, if you are the person who turns inward, you would likely find yourself thinking in times of need, I'm going to fix this myself. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, as it were. I'm going to make sure that things work. You might throw some money at the problem. You might read some books on how to resolve the problem. You might download some podcasts on how to handle the issue that's in front of you. You resolve in your mind, I'm never going to let this happen again. You know, you probably heard it said as a kid, God helps those who help themselves. It's the American way. It's a pretty common instinct, really, in all of us. Self-sufficiency. That's the response I think a lot of us are trained in. Turn inward to find your greatest need, the world tells us. Well, what's the problem with that kind of response? Well, the problem is that it's entirely contrary to the way that we're made. It's entirely contrary to the way that God has designed us. We were never meant to be self-sufficient people. We are actually needy creatures in need of God's help. And that's what I love about the psalm where we'll be this morning. This psalm comes and upsets and disrupts our self-reliant tendencies. Our self-sufficient proclivities. Our tendency to turn inward and instructs us instead to turn outward. And we're going to watch in this psalm some stories unfold where God's people find themselves in trouble. And we're going to see where they turn and what happens to them when they do. And really the entire labor of Psalm 107 is to convince you of this truth. To convince you that God saves his people because of his steadfast love. And we give thanks because God has saved us. God saves his own because of his steadfast love. And we give thanks because God has saved us. If you want to know what we're doing here this morning, it's understanding this. That the solution to our problems today is not going to be found inside of us. The way that 2023 goes well, it's not going to be found inside of you. 
It's going to be found by turning and looking to the Lord and asking Him for help and crying to Him for mercy and for Him to sustain you no matter what it is that you encounter this year. Now you might hear all of that and just sort of think, well, isn't that just kind of basic Christianity? Kind of class 101, if you will. Didn't you just kind of tell us that the point of the Christian life is to trust God? And yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That the point of this psalm is to trust the Lord and to thank Him. And yet I think, if you're a Christian, I'm sure that most of you in here intellectually know that to be true, don't you? You know that God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our thanksgiving. And the issue is not so much, do you know that intellectually? But, but the issue is, do we live like we know that? Do we live like we know that? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 107 with me. Now, I'm likely not going to be able to hit every single verse in the psalm this morning. It's a longer passage. But my goal is that we'll get sort of the main thrust of the passage and hit sort of the big movements and the main points of what the author intends for us this morning. I'm going to read through the entire passage opening up, and then we'll start there in verse 1. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. It spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they draw near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word, and He healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to sea in ships. 
doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven and they went down to the depths and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, the psalm begins with this bold preamble in verse 1 of the author calling God's people to give thanks Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you might recognize some of that phrasing. It's repeated quite a bit through the Old Testament, especially those words that come together and are translated steadfast love. It's actually one word in the original language, and it's a word to you that's used only to describe the Lord's love for his own people, for his covenant people. It, it describes the covenant love of God. It's God's promise keeping love. It's a, it's a special word that he reserves only to describe the way that he relates to his people. It's his I'm never going to fail you, love. It's his, you can count on me, love. It's his, I'm going to be there when I say I will be there, love, all the time, every time, kind of love. It's God's loving kindness, his loyal love is how some translations would have it. Well, it's this love that's for his own people. That's confirmed in verses 2 and 3. Where it goes on to say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom the Lord has redeemed from trouble. And he's gathered them in. From the lands. From the east. From the west. The north. And the south. Well these are God's redeemed people. Who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And what follows after really in the rest of this psalm, we're going to see just this series of pictures 
of how the Lord's steadfast love plays out for his people. You can sort of think of the rest of this psalm like a family photo album of sorts. All foregrounding and highlighting the steadfast love of the Lord for his people. When things go wrong. When we are foolish. When we stray. When we are weak. When we don't know what to do. This is how God's steadfast love shows up for his people. Some are fainting, weary from their trouble. Others are foolish. Sinful decisions have landed them in their hardship. Others are fearful. They don't know what to do. Well, what do God's people do in these circumstances? How do they respond? Well, story number one, we'll see God's steadfast love and the fainting. God's steadfast love and the fainting. Verse four, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty. Their souls fainted within them. So he begins describing this people who are wandering and destitute. They're they're sort of lacking just even the basic necessities of life. They're wandering in a desert waste. They don't have a city to dwell in. They're not exactly sure how they've gotten there. You know, we aren't really told in the psalm how they've gotten where they've gotten. We aren't told if Bill forgot to charge the GPS or somebody held the map upside down. When they were set out for Jerusalem, we we don't really know what's going on exactly. We're simply told these people are wandering. They're directionless. They're aimless. And they're lacking. Now, I'm not sure how many of us in this room can identify with the experience that these people are having in this moment. I'm not sure how many of us have faced the circumstance where we've wondered where our next meal is going to come from. Where our next drink of water is going to be. But what about this sense of wandering that plagues the people here? Not really knowing where you're going. Maybe you feel like you're lost in your work. Lost. Maybe just kind of in your sense of life goals and direction. You're in what feels like an unplanned place. And in circumstances you never thought you would find yourself in. You thought you'd be married by now. You thought you'd have that degree by now. You thought you'd have kids by now. You thought you'd have a house by now. You thought you'd be out of debt by now. You thought you would have somebody who you feel like really understands you and knows you by now. And the question now becomes, 
what do you do? Well, if you're anything like me, there's an impulse in you, even if you are a Christian, to functionally, in those circumstances, to start living like an atheist. You ask yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to figure this problem out? I've got to solve all of this by myself. Let me check my bank accounts. Let me find some books. Let me do some frantic research. Let me sort of get my planning chart out. Let me download some podcasts. Let me go start sort of looking as though I'm living wisely. And yet on the inside... We're just sort of a panicking mess. We might look as though we're taking prudent steps outwardly, but on the inside, there's a lack of trust in the Lord. And it's only until after we've really just totally worn ourselves out do we stop and consider, you know, have I asked the Lord at all for his help in this? Well, what do these people do here? You know, God's word records these stories for us to instruct us. And look at the very next verse in verse 6. What do they do? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. They brought their need to God. And he delivered them. Y'all, one of the points of the psalm is this. Do not let your trouble make you a practical atheist. Don't let it. Do not let your trouble make you live as an atheist would. Are you weary from your trouble this morning? Cry out to the one who hears. Cry out to the one who saves his people. They cry to him in their trouble. And then what's God's response? It's not scolding. It's not, well, you made your bed and now you've got to lie in it. It's, it's not even close to that. The author can't even finish his sentence. It's comma, and he answered them. He answers them. He delivers his people from their distress. He gives them Mercy, he led them by straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. We bring our need to God. He brings his mercy to us. When God's people turn up in need, God turns up in his mercy. So train your hearts in this truth with me for a moment. When you are in trouble. When your heart is weary because you just don't know where your next step is going to be, do not turn inward. Do not turn inward. Turn out. Turn out and upward to the Lord and plead with Him for mercy. We bring our need. He brings His Mercy. And what happens every time after we bring our need and God brings his mercy, what happens every time? Thanksgiving. Verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul. 
the hungry soul, he fills with good things. You can sort of just put it in this basic formula. Our need plus God's mercy equals thanksgiving. Our need plus God's mercy equals thanksgiving. And we're going to see that formula on repeat through the rest of this psalm. Well, what happens when the stakes are higher? What about the circumstances when it's actually entirely your fault and you know it and you messed up willfully? What about when the trouble in your life actually came into your life because of your own sin? What then? That's what these next two stories are about. Point number two, story number two, God's steadfast love and the foolish. God's steadfast love and the foolish. It's going to cover the next two stories here together. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, and they were prisoners in affliction and in irons. So these folks are enslaved. They're either in themselves or in an actual prison, enslaved in some sort of way. In the next story, verse 17, the the people are so lost that they've lost even their desire to live. They don't want food. They're near the gates of death, it says. These guys are in a bad spot. They're in affliction and misery. Chains of iron and bronze is the way they're described. Well, why? Why are God's people in this mess? Verse 11. For they had rebelled against the words of God. And they had spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. So how did they get there? Well, it wasn't mere happenstance. It it wasn't even because somebody just sort of dropped the ball. They were in prison because of their willful sin. Willful rebellion against the Lord. They spurned the counsel of the Most High, it says. They weren't interested. They wanted to do things their way. Self-rule, self-willed, self-reliant people. They did what they wanted. And it brought hardship in their life. As we hear the story, it's a different one than the one before, isn't it? It's a darker story than the last one that we heard. And yet at the same time, I think it's one that if we're honest with ourselves, many of us in here can identify with. It's likely the way that many who struggle with addiction would feel. 
This passage actually puts some really helpful imagery to likely what someone feels when they are entangled in sin, ensnared in sin, whether that would be alcohol or other substances, pornography or the praise of man. Y'all, at some point, those hidden guilty pleasures start to become very painful. Cycles of repeated self-deception, self-destruction. Eventually you turn a corner and it's not fun anymore. It's just dark. You feel like you're in jail. The sin that sort of used to bring this rush or thrill, it just feels oppressive now. You know, some of you in this room, you may hear that language of shackles and chains and prison. And you're saying, you know what, that's exactly what I feel like in my sin. I feel like I can't go anywhere. I feel like I'm bound and I can't move. So what do you do? When you're in a dungeon of your own making. That's the question. What do you do when the prison that you're in, you made it yourself? Well, notice what the passage isn't telling us to do. It's not telling us to hide. It never says anything about that. There's nothing in here that tells us to hide because of embarrassment or because we're thinking I've gone too far and I can't even verbalize this to somebody else because I feel like I've sinned for the thousandth time. It also doesn't encourage us to cover it up. It doesn't even say to that the people clean themselves up really nice and they got a good shower and they got a good shave and they got a new pair of clothes and, and it was then that they cried out to the Lord and that was when he decided to answer them. It's not what the passage says. We cry out to God and God answers us in our need. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. You see the pattern, the, the pattern is there, right there in front of us again. Our need expressed to God, God meets their need with his mercy. Our need, God's mercy. Now, I think some of us need to sit here for a second and feel the shock of what just happened. Feel the shock of this passage. You know, that last story that we just heard is probably easy to sit there and kind of think, yeah, you know, I think the Lord's going to help them. They just kind of fell on hard times. They found themselves in a bind. God's probably going to help them out. But these people here, I mean, the passage just told us that they spurned the counsel of the Most High. If you believe God is holy, those next words 
comma, mercy, comma, God met them in their need. That should almost offend you. That should almost bother you. I mean, why does the author go that quick? They cry to the Lord for mercy and then he's just there as if nothing ever happened. What's going on? Why does the author go that quick? He delivered them from their distress immediately after they cry for mercy. Well, y'all, that's definitely not how people act. Think about how you act when you've seen somebody who's totally wrecked themselves against your counsel. You've told them, don't go do that. And they go anyway. And then they finally turn and come crawling back to you. And what's that moment like? We may not say it out loud. But I know internally a lot of us think, well, well, well. Look what the cat drug in. No, 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 hold on. Let's just sit in this for a little bit. I'm going to savor this moment. There's no comma mercy often in the way that we deal with one another. But look at how the Lord acts. He rushes to them. They bring their need and he's there. Yo, this is why we love the prodigal son story so much, right? It's why it gets told over and over and over again. That son was such a rebel. He was a terrible son. He's a shameful person. He goes and squanders all of his inheritance. But then once the son just has an inkling of repentance and desire to go back to his father, how does his father meet him? His, his father hikes up his robes and runs to him, beelines to him, ready to welcome him back. Y'all, that's the heart of the Lord for his people. Anyone who would turn and come back to him who would turn from their sins and who would trust in Him. The Lord comes and He's ready to welcome any sinner who truly repents and comes to Him. Even for the person in this room whose sin would make you blush. For the one who cries out to the God of heaven. It's comma, mercy. Mercy from the Lord. Y'all, isn't that the whole reason we're here this morning? Is that not why we gather? We gather because we have found the true and living God. We have found him because he came and sought us out. He came after us. He wiped away all of our sins by sending his son to rescue us. That's why we're here. We came to sing praises and thanksgiving to God. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. His mercy is more, y'all. In Christ, His mercy is more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we have seen trouble come to those who are fainting. We've seen 
trouble come to those who are foolish. But what about when really you don't have a hand in it at all? What happens when trouble comes and it wasn't even because you did anything? It's just because life happened. The car crashes. The divorce gets finalized. The house just burned down. The cancer diagnosis came. What do you do then? Whatever those situations are, this isn't even a you thing. The question is, what do you do in that moment? What does this psalm have to say for us? Well, story number three, point three, God's steadfast love and the fearful. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. This is a bunch of sea merchants. They're traders. They're buying and trading Selling commodities. That's all that really seems to be going on here. Likely doing well, working hard, probably turning a nice profit. Nothing good or bad said about them. They're just doing business. And then it says that they saw the deeds of the Lord. Okay, well, how? How did so? How did they see the deeds of the Lord? Verse 25. He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens, went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Well, why do they have a problem? Well, well, the problem, of course, is that there's a massive storm that's threatening their lives and they're, they're pretty much just losing their minds. It says that they're at their wit's end. The extent of their human wisdom is swallowed up. There's literally nothing that they know to do to reverse the situation or get themselves out of this mess. Well, why? Why are they in this situation in the first place? Well, it's not because of their sin. They're selling things. Well, who's the cause? Who's who's behind what's going on? It's God. Look at the passage. He commanded and raised up the stormy wind. In the last story, God brings his loving discipline and pain because his people had turned away from him. But but that's not what this story is. They're just going about their daily business and God raises up a stormy wind. Now you might be thinking, did that just say God caused the storm? I thought that God 
calms the storm. Don't, don't we read about that in the Bible? God calming the storm? Well, God does both. The first one, calming the storm, you know, I, I, I think we all expect that one, don't we? We expect God to come and to calm the storm. We, we like hearing about how God calms the storm. But, but the second one, the, the one in this passage, God causes the storm. Maybe there's less of us who expect that one. Do, do you expect that one? Let me take a moment here for us to think about this. I want to ask you, can your theology support that truth? Can your theology handle the truth that God causes the storms that he calms? It, it didn't say anywhere in this passage that this was the devil's doing. It says that God himself and his fatherly hand is behind even this. What if God, in an effort to bring about something in your life infinitely valuable, your love for him, your affection for him, your dependence upon him, what if he would be willing, even though it pains him, to introduce grief into your life? Can I tell you that that sentence, it will only make sense to you. It will only be tolerable to you if your highest value in this life is not your own comfort, not the praise of man, not your position in life, but your highest value is knowing God. Knowing Him truly. Knowing Him deeply. And savoring and enjoying His love forever. Being near to Him and being with Him. If you're after primarily your own comfort, if you're after primarily your own success, your worldly status, the praise of people, you will not like this truth. You won't. You won't like this story. You won't like the thousands of other stories that are like it in the Bible. And, and there's really only a couple of options of ways to respond to this truth, to passages like these. You can either become a cynic where you come to these passages and you read it and you think to yourself, well, if that's how God is, I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not very interested. And y'all, I've got friends who have walked away from the faith because they cannot stomach the truth that God causes the storms that he also calms. 
And, and the problem with this cynical approach is that when you actually need rescue from life's circumstances and situations and your own sin, well, the only one who you can call on to help you, you've resolved in your mind to never go to him. You've decided that it's going to be you and maybe some other people around you, but you're not inviting God into the equation. Or you can take the second, also unbiblical approach, but it also maybe might sound kind of spiritual. And that's the stoic approach. The stiff upper lip approach. You know, some of us who may personally affirm and believe rightly and hold fast to God's sovereignty over all things. Well, sometimes our tendency might say, well, God's sovereign. So why pray to him anyway? That's a wrong tendency. And so some of us might think, well, God's going to do what he does. And so there's really no reason to pray for him. He's got it all under control. That's also the wrong approach. The Bible says both and. Yes, God is sovereign over all things. There's no single molecule in this universe that's outside of his control. And yes, we cry to him for mercy. Because truly, truly, if God is really that sovereign, he can ordain both the means and the end. He's sovereign over both. He's sovereign over the causing of the storm. He's sovereign over our crying to him. And he's sovereign over the calming of the storm. We plead with him because he uses it as a means to drive us to him, to know him more deeply and to glorify and exalt his name. So the Christian response is not cynicism or stoicism. The Christian response is need. Need. And that's exactly how these sailors respond. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress and he made the storm to be still and the waves of the sea were hushed and they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. They brought their need. God brings his mercy and consequently. We give thanks. This is the point. If you are in need today of anything, you are one step away from having the God of the universe meet you with his mercy. That's the point. You're one plea away from having the full weight of the steadfast love of the Lord rush in and be foisted upon you. That is what our God does. He loves to save Sinners, he loves to lavish his mercy. Do you have a record? Like seriously, a criminal record. There is mercy for even you. 
Do you feel like you're up to your eyeballs and your sin and you can't even see straight? There is mercy from God for you. Have you been a hypocrite and just sort of playing religion, going to church, doing the right thing, but your heart's never in it? It's never actually oriented in trust to God and turning away from your trusting in good deeds, turning away from your self-righteousness and trusting the only true righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is mercy for even you. Y'all, have you been a fool? Have you made just careless decisions? You've been terrible with your money. You've been terrible in your marriage. You've not been a good parent. There is mercy for you. Do you feel like life has just berated you? Like you're in the ship that these guys are in and you're at your wit's end. There is mercy for you if you would turn out. Turn out and up to the Lord and He will meet you. That's why this psalm ends with these words. Verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, let that person camp out in their past mistakes. Let those people be paralyzed with their guilt. Let these people dwell on the fact that they just made really bad decisions in the past. Let them just dwell on the ways that they can get cleaned up so that way God will finally do something for them. Let them get sort of creative about the ways that they can balance out the scales and get God in their pocket. No. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider and cry out to Him. And y'all, as we consider the steadfast love of the Lord, where better for us to turn than to where His steadfast love has been fully expressed and fully displayed? Where we just read about it. For if God did not spare His own Son, Jesus who hung there with arms nailed to the tree for us, As if to say, I know your sin put me here. But I'm here because I love you. See my steadfast love for you. See it. And be moved. And cry out to me. I will answer. I will be there for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom we are the foremost. And yet God is glorified when those sinners come home and He can change and redeem and make lovely 
even the most unlovable. He can make lovely even the most unlovely circumstances. And He will use for good even the most awful things that we may encounter. And that's why we worship Him. That's why we come to Him. Let's pray to Him now. Father, we praise You for Your Word. We thank You for Your kindness in speaking truth, recording truth for us so that we might better know You, might better know our Lord and Savior, and might better know Your will for us. So God, we pray that this Word even now would dwell richly in our hearts and would move us to be those who live in such a way that they would be worthy of the gospel that we proclaim. So help us, Lord, in these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.